Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode number 31 of Imprint Cast, the podcast dedicated to the Australian boutique label Imprint Films. My name is Tony Meaches, and joining me as always is my partner and colleague, John Matthews. John, how are you doing? Uh, doing well, Tony. Doing well. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah, like I said earlier, just getting over a bit of a illness, but feeling a lot better now and uh, excited to be here with our guests. So, no yeah. excuses, John. Come on. <laughs> I know. There is no excuses. Uh, <laughs> But yes, I'm feeling much better now. So it just caught a bit of a virus. But yes, if I'm sounding a little uh, nasally, but apart from that, I'm all good. So on the road to recovery. So. That's the main thing. Excellent. Indeed. And also joining us is our regular colleague, Ryan Kendall. Ryan, how you doing? Uh, better than John. I made a little paella just before. <laughs> oh. <So, laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. I had to come here and hang out with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Could be having sangrias and shit, but no. Oh, Let's talk about car chases. I know. <laughs> the next best thing. <laughs> sorry to ruin your fun. <laughs> As you probably heard, we have a special guest. Before we introduce our next guest, he was was the guest that we have chosen for our next imprint members group choice members choice um, episode. How this usually works is every. We ask a random member of our Imprint Films Blu-ray Collections fan group and Imprint Cast Facebook pages on three films that they would like to um, to talk about. And our guest here, who's joining us today, has chosen three films, which we will discuss in a minute. And we never announce the guest's name until this episode is aired. And joining us in his very first Imprint Cast episode is Chris Miles. Chris, how you doing? And thank you so much for joining in. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you so much, Tony. It's an absolute honour and a privilege to be part of such a prestigious podcast. You guys have had some, I don't know, you guys have had some special guests on this show. So to have little old me feels pretty damn special. Uh, look, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to be part of the show. Hopefully my opinion is of value. Um, hopefully it holds some weight and I can add a little bit of freshness to the series. Um, but I look, I'm really looking forward to diving into the film, uh, really looking forward to diving into uh, appreciating imprint as a label. I mean, these guys are absolutely prolific in releasing movie after movie after movie, and they're doing it consistently throughout the years. So, again, gentlemen, John, Ryan, Tony, thank you so much for having me on the show. Believe me, it's an absolute pleasure. Mm, absolutely. We've wanted you one for a while, Chris, and, 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 you know, Chris is a big part of the community. You'll see Chris out there on various groups, you know, um, really is, you know, a big contributor to, to the world of boutiques. So it's an honour to have you on, good sir. So Thank but, you. Yeah. Thank you, John. I do collect a little bit, a little bit here and there. Yes. And I, you know, I try to, uh, I try to be part of the community as much as I can. This is a passion. I love films. I love horror films more than anything else, but I do love film. A big appreciation for just filmmaking. I've starred in a few university films myself. I've made a few crappy films, starred in some crappy commercials on TV. So there's this, there's this really ingrained passion that I have. So any chance that I get to spew out some verbal diarrhea about movies, I'm all for it. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. Indeed, we we love we would we love having people on the show who have this same passion that we do: film collecting, and of course, um, physical media enthusiasts, and of course, the main thing, love of movies. Don't you love it though, Tony? I mean, this community is very unique in a way. There's this close unity that I don't think you get with many other groups. And okay, yeah, we're all brought together because we collect movies, mm. but I think there's something bigger and better than that. And so these sorts of podcasts that you guys have designed, um, you know, the Facebook pages, the get togethers, all of that sort of stuff, I absolutely love. So look, keep doing the great things that you're doing because it's bringing everybody together. It's keeping physical media alive. And it's also keeping these boutique labels alive, which I really love to see. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for the kind words. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Of course. I was and more say. kind words yet to come. Yes. No, it's true. Like, because, you know, we meet these uh, collectors in real life and then eventually 
you know, like when we had our gathering, like there was a large group of us, but then eventually we just, we talked about film, but then we stopped talking about film. We realized we're, you know, kind of drawn to, you know, drawn to each other, our souls kind of, you know, we get along. So um, yeah. it, it is, it's just that sort of vibe you get from someone that's, you know, uh, also likes movies, but also you can talk about anything with them. So that's yeah. what, it's such a Absolutely. great Absolutely. So yep. yeah, yeah, it's a great community, like you said, and um, I've seen some very toxic ones out there. Thankfully, this this world, this sort of boutique world, is not that. Thankfully, so it's a very positive community. So yeah, it's great. It's a good thing. Definitely is. Well said, John. Long live physical media. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, Chris, I have to ask the the first question that I always ask every time we have a new mem- new guest joining us on the episode. How did you first hear of Imprint Films? Okay, so how did I... So I'm... Look, I've got to be honest with you guys. I'm a bit of a virgin when it comes to collecting. And what I mean by that is if I can stand on the shoulders of giants and I'm referring to you, John, I'm referring to you, Ryan, I'm referring to you, Tony, um, I'm not a collector that goes years and years back. I started collecting probably in 2017, 2018. Prior to that, I had small little collections, but I didn't really know about the boutique labels. I didn't really know about all the underground sort of stuff, you know, all the cool stuff that was going, that's going on right now. So my introduction to Imprint was actually through the uh, horror group on Facebook, uh, the horror sell and buy, you know, group on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it was probably through John because he just didn't shut up about it and and kept sort of talking about how fantastic this label is. And so I think that was probably my first introduction. And, and so I jumped online, had a really quick look at what they're all about, and then I could see they had a massive catalogue, massive backlog of, of films, uh, and they keep producing more and more awesome stuff as time goes on. So um, my introduction was a good one, uh, and I started collecting straight away. And now I think... I've got well over 150 titles in my collection. So, and, and I'm, and I want to grow it even more. Wow. Wow. No, I remember before, obviously the imprint Facebook group, there was, and there still is like, it's a really good horror group, Australian group, but uh, yeah, myself and Tony and a few others, we were banging the drum early on for imprint. We were like, this, this is a label. Keep an eye on these guys. They know what they're doing. So yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. On. Yep, exactly right. I think John and you, Tony, indirectly have introduced me to quite a lot of boutique labels. And it's, again, it's a massive passion of mine, not just physical media, but the movies themselves. And that's what I love about these these labels is that they keep these films alive. It's film preservation. Um, we've got, we're part of communities, like we've already said. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what else Imprint brings to the table because again and i know i've used this word a lot they are prolific by nature and i think they're banging on the drum harder than most when it comes to releases that's for sure they are very prolific i gotta say like they've got oh they've got so much coming out very soon like one month they released like 15 movies mind you they're most of them are in box sets but still 15 movies (laughs) pretty damn impressive yeah, it's very it's impressive. It's I'm waiting. I'm waiting for a Barry Newman box set, and yeah. I know that we're going to get into the film very shortly. But I'm waiting for that. I mean, the guy starred in a lot of films. Why not? It makes sense. So true. Absolutely. And speaking of Barry Newman, the movie that we are going to be discussing tonight is the one that won the poll out of the three films. The what a movie. segue! What a segue, Tony. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> And the, the movie that we're going to be discussing is Fear is the Key from 1972. Alistair McLean brings you a new kind of hero. The name's John Talbot, wanted for violent assault, resisting arrest, murder. When must happen, you're dead. And kidnapping. You're putting our life in danger. I'm not. Anybody who comes after me is. Hold on! Fear is the key, and the key is Talbot, a man on a desperate mission. Don't scream and don't move. Nothing, nobody can stop him.
Alastair MacLean. Remember the guns of Navarone, Ice Station Zebra, where eagles dare? Now the world's greatest adventure rider trains his sights on the story of revenge and the fortune in bullion and diamonds buried beneath the raging sea. I'm gonna kill you, The stakes are high. The danger fathoms deep. Develop a taste for it. Not hard to around you. Now, with um, with the poll. We asked Chris to choose three of his favorite imprint releases, and we'll see which ones get the votes from from our members. His choices were Lolita, The Beast, and Fear is the Key. That's right, Lolita. I couldn't remember the other choice. Yeah, okay, great film. Good choice. Yeah, Lolita is, is beautiful. I mm. one of my favorite movies of of that of, from the company. Oh yeah. Now with the polls, Lolita unfortunately went a little low, but I got to tell you. The Beast and Fear is the Key were neck and neck. And in the end, Fear is the Key won by two votes. You know what? It doesn't surprise me, Tony. Sorry to cut you off. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, look, two great films. I honestly thought The Beast was going to take it. I I honestly did. You and every member of the groups, we (laughs) all thought The Beast was going to win. And um, because you know the base was so popular, it, it went out of print within days once it was when it was mm. released. And um, and we and we honestly thought the base would be the winner, but no, everybody wanted an underrated gem. Fear is the key, which is fantastic. It shows how much um our members absolutely love obscure movies and and, and underrated gems. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is the Barry Newman. I think they wanted to see a little bit more of Barry Newman and I don't blame them. He's a great actor. And, uh, and this got me in contact. I mean, the fact that I'm doing this podcast got me in contact with this film, which I didn't know that well. I knew Barry pretty well, but I didn't know about this. And I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to not just watch it, but study it, pull it apart and then discuss it with you guys tonight. So good stuff. Perfect opportunity to discuss this. With this movie, Fear is the Key, starring Barry Newman and Susie Kendall. And coincidentally enough, Ryan, that's your mother's name, isn't it? Coincidentally enough, yes. Um, <laughs> you related there, Kendall? I fucking wish. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> it's, an English, <laughs> it's an English name, so who knows? Long lost grandmother. Yeah, Maybe. Maybe in some life. It's spelled differently, but, you know, still, Susie Kendall, I'm just like, yeah, go, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sure Susie Kendall isn't your mum? <laughs> as much as I love my mum, I wouldn't mind Susie Kendall to be my mum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now, um, Chris, since you're our guest of honour, we'll get you started. Um, how, when did you first see? Where did you first see Fear is the Key? Was it this imprint release, or have you seen it prior? So I'd seen snippets of Fear is the Key. I think probably three or four years ago. And uh, and again, this was just me researching Barry Newman films. And so I think I watched little bits here and there. And there was these there was these comparisons drawn between Vanishing Point and Fear is the Key. And so I think that's how I got onto it. Um, but I didn't watch the entire film. And, I, and to be honest, I didn't think it was going to interest me because it seemed like too much of a vanishing point wannabe film. Uh, almost like Barry Newman to me when I first discovered him wanted to be a, a Steve McQueen wannabe, right? So mm. excuse me if I draw these comparisons, but I think uh, there's massive elements from Vanishing Point in Fear is the Key. Now, I know that we're talking about Fear is the Key. I don't want to keep harping on about Vanishing Point, but there are most definitely some strong elements that they've they've borrowed. And so, yeah, that was how I got onto it. But the first time I actually watched it properly was when I actually got my hands on the fantastic imprint release. Well, there is, another, there is a reason why this is so 
is is always compared to Vanishing Point, and we'll get to that reason in a minute. Yes, let's um, do that. <laughs> sure. Uh, Ryan, was um, this imprint release the first time you saw Fear is the Key? Si, senor. First time. And I didn't know of it at all, which is weird, considering, like, the car chase scene, which we'll get into. Yeah, never heard about it at all. But, yeah, first time. Last month, first time watch. Loved it. Great cast, too. It is a great cast. John, same deal with you? Yeah, first time watch was this imprint release. Um, I had heard of the film, and how I heard of it was I was actually I was doing research on Susie Kendall uh, because I you know, was just a big fan of all the giallos and various Italian films she was in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and yeah, I came across this this film, and I, I <laughs> and once again I, I was confused because the inside poster art this imprint release uses it looks like some sort of giallo. You've got this sort of black glove around this woman's face and i thought it was and i remember seeing that but not not obviously knowing what the film was about and then i finally got to see it through um through imprint so this was a first time watch for me and uh yeah i was really impressed by it and we can definitely talk about it but yes so first time watch is this yeah same with me it is my first time watching with this imprint release i have heard of it but i've never ever seen it the only thing I've heard about was about this car chase sequence. But yeah, John, you're right. The um the cover, the, the the inside cover with the original poster art, with the gloved hand um covering the mouth of the woman, and also and underneath it is a, yeah, is skull. a skull hand, is a, is a skull, and with a black with a gloved hand covering its mouth. I thought it was a jalo too, but it's nowhere near a jalo. No, no, especially especially with a especially with a PG rating. No, it's definitely not a jalo. No, um, no, bit of a cash in there because of yeah. <laughs> now this film starts off, of course, um, um, Barry Newman's character John Talbot. He gets he gets he's in court, and then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and I've got to tell you, I thought this car chase sequence was like near the end of the movie, but obviously it was right at the beginning. Yeah. And yeah. this car, and this car chase sequence is one of the longest in film is is one of the longest in film, I believe, a little over twenty minutes, which is mm-hmm. which is incredible. And I, um, look, Tony, I'm going to challenge that. Okay. I'm going to challenge that, and I'll tell right. you why. Okay. <laughs> because I've done my homework, my friend. I've done my homework. This movie got me so intrigued with car chase scenes for at least a week that I delved into all sorts of different other films just to sort of have a comparison and get some perspective. And I timed it. Tony, I timed the car chase scene. It didn't okay. go for 20 minutes. It went for probably roughly in between maybe 12 to 15 so I'm not too sure where they're getting the 20 minutes from. But, well, I'll look, I'll leave it for later when we get into that conversation. And I'll also use some other car chase scenes from other films as a comparison. So, again, I want to challenge that. But, again, very, very good car chase scene. Definitely well worth a watch. And I think uh, it's not the highlight of the film. I, I don't think, you know, that car chase scene is really what carries the film. I think the film itself has a plot thick enough to actually carry itself, and Barry does a good job too. So, anyway, I'll leave it. I'll leave it for later. That's okay. Though. We are actually discussing the car chase right now. So, um, but, we will get into, but we will get into your um, into those perspectives afterwards because I'm, I'm really I'm looking forward to hearing I've it. I've got some comparisons for you. Yeah, Can't yeah, yeah. Wait. <laughs> but before, I was going to say, before the car chase, we do have this opening scene with Barry Newman on a radio and we don't know what's going on. So he's quite a mysterious character, mm-hmm. but isn't he? That yeah. Is yeah. We don't know if we're meant to hate this guy, like this guy, uh, is he an anti-hero? But yeah, there's a very mysterious opening on a radio, which does actually make sense later on when you see the film, but it's, it leaves you in intrigue. So I like, it's a bit of a mystery that unfolds, but yes, mm. it yeah. really is a mystery that unfolds, isn't it? Cause you hear like, he was in a radio tower, isn't he? He's talking to his wife and his friend, and they're That's right. plane crashes, and he's just like, oh, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you don't really know anything else. You kind of go on the journey with Barry. Almost. Yeah, it is. It's a bit of a journey film. I think that's a really good way to describe yeah. it, Ryan. Yep. It's like right after that, you got, like, the 20-minute car chase or 15 minutes, and he just turns into, like, a full-on bad guy, and you're like, why is this guy a bad guy yeah. all of a sudden? Like. <laughs> No spirits on Sunday in that town. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a bourbon. Uh, and yeah, and then yeah, then he just becomes quite a 
almost nasty character to be honest mm. so like he's just killing cops and punching people in courtrooms and yeah but but it, yeah like i said it all makes sense eventually. yeah it makes sense at the end yeah 100 percent. when he does all that i'm like shit tables have turned <laughs> dead wife makes you do crazy things <laughs> you, you can't help but to kind of be with him the whole way though when he and when he takes that ugly turn you still sort of i don't know you still kind of you know what's the word i'm looking for tony help me out you you're still egging for, for it yes what's that it's still root for him a little bit. Yeah, you're still rooting for him. You know, mm. you want to see him destroy some things. You know, you want to see that destruction. So, yeah, it's, there's a couple of twists and turns what I really like about the film. So, yeah, good one. Definitely does have a lot of twists and turns. And, yeah, especially how um how, how um, Susie Kendall's character was in the courtroom waiting and then she gets – and then Barry just takes her <laughs> and then – then the chaos begins. Yeah, it's quite an opener, and it doesn't really slow down. That's the thing I loved about this film. The pacing of it was great. It never, like, you never felt bored. You never watched, you know, reach for yeah. your phone or checked your watch. It, it just moved at a real breakneck speed, and that's what I thought was was a great thing about the film. It never seems to slow down. It just keeps going. Well, Even it comes in at, what, 103 minutes, and I don't think it felt like 103 minutes. It felt probably more sort of 80 or 90. Yeah. Yeah. So there's elements about the film that I think really draw you in. But, hey, listen, if I can talk about the car chase scene. Yes. Can I do it, Tony? Please. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. So the car chase scene, I've I've compared to some of the other ones. Now, I went on to the Google machine. I brought up the list. And these are the top eight. Okay, so bear with me while I go through them. Number eight, to live and die in L.A. That car chase scene comes at seven minutes and 35 seconds. Number seven. Smokey and the Bandit, that's eight minutes and 33 seconds. Uh, number six, my favourite Steve McQueen film, Bullet, that comes in at 10 minutes and 53 seconds. Then you've got number five, which is the Blues Brothers, that's 11 minutes and 15 seconds. Number four, The Italian Job, do you guys remember the car chase scene in that? That mm -hmm. was a good one. 14 minutes and three seconds. The then number three. Oh, sorry, Chris, the original Italian job or the remake? Well, I, I I timed both with that one. I didn't time both with Gone in 60 Seconds, but I did time both in the Italian job, and they're relatively the same. Uh, okay, because yeah, I remember they both have long, yeah. Yeah. Both. yeah. So, number three, Death Proof. Good old Quentin Tarantino. Now, was Quentin Tarantino the director or was he the writer? can't remember. Anyway, uh, that's 15 minutes. <laughs> Tarantino was the writer, director, and cinematographer for Death. Oh, there you go. Well done, Tony. <laughs> uh, number two, coming in at uh, 16 minutes and 46 seconds, is Mad Max Fury Road. That that car chase scene just seemed to go forever, but very intriguing, very th enthralling. Uh, and then number one, the number one place goes to, and Ryan, you might be right, it might be the original as opposed to the Nicolas Cage version, which I absolutely love. I believe love. it's the original, yes. Yes, is gone in 60 seconds. At, yeah, and that's 40 minutes. That's 40 minutes. So, Tony, if we take Fear is the Key that has a car chase scene, even at the quoted 20 minutes, which, again, I think is highly debatable, uh, would actually come in at number two spot. Mm. So there you go. It would. I was thinking, I watched uh, The Driver recently, another imprint film, and there's a pretty, it feels like a pretty bloody long car chase scene at the end there yeah. with Ryan O'Neill. But once again, I'm not sure I didn't time it, but that felt awfully long. I'm surprised that's not on the list as well. Maybe. Well, could I, can I throw a spinner in the works, yeah. gentlemen? Vanishing Point. Yes. <laughs> that whole I mean, movie's a car chase, <laughs> isn't it, really? That's right. <laughs> that's right. So I don't know. I, this is taken from the Google machine. I don't know about the validity of the of the list. Uh, it's highly debatable. But again, mm. I just went down this rabbit hole. I had to see all these car chase scenes. It got me in touch with some great films. And I think to this day, Vanishing Point takes the cake, not only for the car chase scene, but the ending. And I don't want to spoil anything. Mm. I don't. Can we spoil oh. things on this show, Tony? Oh, well, you can just oh the movie's like 50 years old. Just spoil it. Spoil it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just say spoiler alert. If you haven't seen that, it's your warning. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, spoiler alert coming. He dies at the end. But look, <laughs> the, the ending is so 
intense for me when I first watched it, and this is on VHS back in the 90s, that the ending grabbed me as much as The Mist. You yeah. know, it had that oh, much yeah. impact. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wanted him to, like, win. I wanted him to survive. Same. And not hit the fucking bulldozer. The cinder. I mean, I could understand if he was taken out and it was, you know, it was the cops taking him out. But he, this was a suicide. Mm. Yeah. So I, I just didn't sit well with me. Yeah. But anyway, great film. Oh, Vanishing Points is is actually a, is a masterpiece. It's beautiful. I I absolutely adore it. A lot of great '70s car films at that point, like you know, Two Lane Blacktop's the other big one as well. But yeah, mm. well, he's really awesome. Oh, good one. I forgot about that. Yeah, but once again, there's not really a. I mean, there's not really a chase. I mean, there is an on-road race that continues on, but there's not a chase. Yeah. That's another one. But yeah, there's just so many like just just great car films at the time. Yeah, but, and and you're right, Ryan. The car in Vanishing Point is just nuts. I mean, yeah. it's just it makes you just want to fucking I don't know, just bang on your chest like a gorilla. It's it's a ballsy V8. It's a beautiful machine. I always say, like, even if it was in like hot pink, it'd still look fucking mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. <laughs> Uh, hot pink. I can imagine that. <laughs> oh, I've seen it because you got like the it has those black stripes in it as well. Some of them. Yeah, that's that's the Challenge. sequel coming out, Ryan. Vanishing Point Two Oof. in hot pink. I'm like <laughs> pretty in pink. Vanishing Two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't. I, I didn't find it until recently. There was a there was a TV remake of Vanishing Point. With oh yeah, Vigo. I literally just saw that picture. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm, I've never seen it, but I've heard of it that there was a TV remake. I was like, no, I, I don't know. I don't think I want to watch it. I just it ruined the original for me. I don't know. I'll give it a go. Maybe. You can't, you can't beat the original. You can't. No way. I, I don't think so. <laughs> no. And speaking of Vanishing Point, I believe the stunt, the car, the stunt coordinator of Vanishing Point also was in charge of the, um, of the chase in, in Fear is the Key. Ah, there you go. That's See, there you go. And like I was saying before, Tony, there's so many comparisons that you can draw from Vanishing Point. It almost plays out like a sequel to a certain extent. Um, and, and the cast and the crew and everything, and you just pointed out a really good point. So, you know, I think Barry Newman did a fantastic job in Vanishing Point. Um, I think he did an even better job with his acting skills in uh, in Fear is the Key. And, mm. and then he just gets better and better as time moves on. I don't think he was as natural as Steve McQueen on screen, he had he had to work at it a little bit more. Yeah. But um, but he still had his own sort of style and charisma that grows on you after a while. So true. John and I recently did an episode of um, Sydney J Fury's box set with um, Daniel Kramer, and of course um, Barry Newman was in the movie The Lawyer, and he had that charisma as you just said, and, and I, I thought it was quite. I, I really enjoyed Barry Newman in that performance in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really did give me an appreciation for Barry Newman after seeing The Lawyer. Uh, mm. He leads it like he is, like he really does lead that that you know almost two-hour film. So, and, and once again, I realized gee, he's he's actually he's more than just a I don't know like a '70s sort of playboy character. He's actually a really good actor, and uh, The Lawyer really does show his chops, and especially Fear is the key. So, the more Barry Newman films I discover, the more I, I realize wow, he's he was a he was a great actor. He's a real yeah. That's a really good point, John. I mean, and just to add to that, if you look at City on Fire in 1979, yes. he stars alongside Susan Clark, Shelley Winters. Who else is there? Uh, Leslie Nielsen. Yep. Right. Uh, Henry Fonda. You know, these are some pretty big actors and pretty big personalities. And when Barry first started out, he wasn't a very strong actor. But you can see that he he evolves over time and he matures as an actor. And then he can he can still carry an entire film, even though he's got these these big co-stars with him. Um, and City on Fire, I don't know if you guys have seen that recently. What a banger of a film that is. Great um, big destruction, big budget. Similar. Yeah. Great. Yeah, it's really, really fun. You know, it's a shame. They just don't make movies like they did in the 60s and the 70s. You know, it's warts and all, and the acting is a lot more organic and natural. Everything's so stylized, and there's a lot of CGI. And it was really up to the protagonist of the film to carry those films back in the day. You don't get that much anymore. And no. uh, and it's a shame. It's a real yeah. shame. All about the spectacle, unfortunately. Yeah. Instead of, I mean, like I said, those disaster movies were, but you had these 
amazing characters and cast that that surrounded it. But yeah, no, it's just not yeah. the same now. Very different. It is. Um, this movie is also based on a novel by Alistair MacLean. Have you ever read the book? Never read the book. No, never read it either. Uh, no, I did. No, I have not. But but it was quite interesting because they were listening to the commentary and they said, um, uh, obviously, Alistair McLean was becoming a big name, almost like a Stephen King of the day, where if you could get a film with his name on it, guaranteed it would be, you know, big in terms of a, at least the box office success. So, uh, yeah, the, everyone was was trying to get the rights to Alistair's Ellis, books at the time. So, yeah. Uh, quite interesting this is yeah indeed based off it so loosely based off it but but because apparently uh according to the commentary the book's not as good as the film that, that's what they said so which is rather interesting but no i, I have not read the book but ah, so the book isn't as good as the film yeah that's say. they're saying yeah they're saying it drags on a bit the book which is quite wow you don't get you don't hear that very often do you no, no, they said the film is its own thing. It takes yeah. elements from the book, but it really, you know, it's once again, they, they believe they just did it just to get his name on the, you know, on the poster, you know, based on the, based on the novel when it was loosely based off it. But yeah, which is quite interesting. So uh, commentary does does say that briefly. It does. I, remember, I, heard some, I heard that in the commentary, especially compared to Stephen King. And now with this film also, of course, as we said, Susie Kendall's in it. And also, there's another legendary actor in this film, also in his film mm. debut, playing the villainous role of, mm. <laughs> of Royale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and actually, you actually see him with hair in this, in yeah. this, this um, <laughs> oh, film. Yeah. I know. It took me a while to figure out if that was really him because of the hair. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. And, like, you don't really see his face properly until later on, too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Who's that henchman in the dark? Yeah, yeah. I know. I noticed that. You just like look at him and it's like, wait, is that? No, I can't be. <laughs> and that henchman in the dark is Oscar winner Ben Kingsley. Yeah. yeah. Which, apparently, which is apparently his second film as well. His second film? So hang on oh, a yeah, second. What first. was his first? Though well, Fear is the Key is his first film. And then I think he's just a theatre performer. Yes. And then oh, he gotcha. Yeah, because he okay. took... He took, That's right. You're right about that. Yes. He took a big break. He took like a ten year break before he got back to features, which was interesting. He, he didn't keep going with film, but yeah, yeah. But you, I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know, I, yeah, I know he was into in the theatre, but um, but then of course after that brat that ten year break, he did Gandhi and won the Oscar for it, which was well deserved. What Gandhi yep. probably. My, I would probably consider that my favourite movie of 1982. Very well deserved, yeah. And look, I, even though he got an Oscar for that and he's he does get a lot of praise and a lot of kudos, I still think he's underrated to a certain extent. You know, I think he, he deserves more. Speaking of which, as we were talking about the House of Sand and Fog, which, um, oh, you know, yeah. like, mm. that is just – speaking of imprint connection, that's an incredible Kingsley performance. Like, he, he is very underrated, I think, as an actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. When House of Sand and Fog was announced in the in the Connolly set, I was so I was so happy because that was one of my favorite films of 2003, and I and it was it was because of Kingsley's performance, or part of it anyway, because it was phenomenal, very mm. devastating. He was he was he's so good, like he was great in Schindler's List. He was good in um, Rules of Engagement. Okay, he wasn't good in the Love Guru, but he's done other. <laughs> he's done other. Um, he's done some duds in his career. Who, who hasn't? But but he, but he is a he is a great performer. He's a great actor, especially as I said with Gandhi and in Schindler's List. And he's quite diverse. And I don't think he gets enough credit for being as diverse as he is. He's not this one-dimensional actor. He's He's got the ability to swap and change and get into different characters. So, uh, And maybe that comes back to his theatre days, John. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely, I think so. Even this film, like, he, like, even as a henchman, he stands out. He really does. Like, he's... Um, uh, yeah, you you can tell that he's there's something special about him, and he has a he's got a career ahead of him. So yeah, even this film just as a he could have been a generic throwaway role, but yeah, he he really does make it worth worthwhile um, mm. in this film as well. But the one thing that's also with this with this movie, I don't know if you saw if you noticed this on the front cover of the movie, 
of the of the of the of the slipcover, I should say, of the imprint release, it looks like a full-on action action film, like full-on insanity. But no, as we said earlier, <laughs> nowhere, it is nowhere near that. Apparently, that's an EMI poster. Ah, okay. Uh, so I was looking at trivia. It's like uh, the EMI poster has a picture of like Barry Newman showing his muscly chest. Ooh, the machine. Blue top ripped open. <laughs> I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I I really like the Giallo art that's underneath it though. I yeah, think that's really so good. do I. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I I admit I saw that art and I thought straight away maybe it's a Giallo film, and I also thought maybe there's some horror elements to it. So yeah, it, yeah, it, it, to- it totally caught me off uh, off guard. But I think there's newly commissioned artwork works sometimes and sometimes it really doesn't and so you've got to really be careful with what you do here and i think these boutique labels need to be very careful with what art they choose because it can make or break a release anybody agree with that Mm-hmm. yeah definitely. yeah definitely uh sometimes it can just turn people completely off or it will you know draw them in so yeah you got it's a fine line and some of them that they're i mean imprint mainly use original art but yeah sometimes the commission art i've seen is oof, it's rough so yeah mm, <laughs> always yeah. Say, just use the poster but sometimes there there isn't a good poster and in this case i mean we do a poster art but it, it doesn't represent the film but yeah you know i think you're right it's a very fine line with, with a lot of these labels you've got to be very careful absolutely like there's one one film in particular that we, that is coming soon in Australian before K, which Ugh. is my favourite horror film of all time. But the, um, but the but the cover art is so horrendous. I can't believe it. I agree, Tony. I agree. It's, yeah. Oh, oh, the title is it's it's the Exorcist 50th anniversary 4K release. The cover. Oh my lord. They should have just stuck to the original poster art and. That was that. That's how it's been, always been for a long time. But yeah, yeah. But is it just me, or is there some some sort of weird element to the actual print itself? It seems like it's almost too, like it's blurred intentionally. Did anybody else see that, or is it is it just me? Because it looks like it's mm. almost like a painting slash drawing. It doesn't look like an actual you know photo, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. It's a bit smudged. It does. It does look smudged. Like a, it does yeah. look smudged. If you look at it in detail up close, yeah, there's something off about it. <laughs> I mean, I don't like. I don't like the art at all. I'm with Tony. I don't think that that works. They and there was. I mean, look, it's such an iconic film. There's so many great artworks to choose from. It's been around for so long, and there's been so many different reproduced bits of art, and they've gone with that. You know, what were they thinking? <laughs> well, and, and that's and once again, that's the difference between a boutique label and the studios. And it's funny, I was having a chat with a friend of mine uh, at the movie market, and he 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 um he now works for Event Cinemas, but he did work at the time for I think Sony Australia. And he said the, you have these people in these departments; they came from Pepsi, they came from Kellogg's. They're not. <laughs> they're basically, and that's the difference. Look, like in print, you've got movie people in these roles, but he's mm-hmm. said studios you got someone in marketing that they may have been some big wig at you know kellogg's or whatever doing you know cereal boxes they don't they probably never even seen exorcist that's how sad it is <laughs> um, but with imprint that's the difference like labels imprint these guys know the film they love it so yeah i think that's the difference between the boutique labels and the studios so <laughs> there's a big difference there definitely made by fans for the fans is where the boutique labels are coming from and then you got the yeah i think you're right then you got these big corporations that are so detached and far removed from what the fans really want that they they you know they produce this crap so yeah, yeah look i agree tony i'm not a big fan of it and look let's see how it goes i think some people will go out of their way to avoid it purely just because of that artwork yeah, and they may even get it confused with the the upcoming remake. Like, ooh, that looks terrible. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. I don't yeah. know. It just looks bad. Maybe. Yeah. And same like there's just these, you know, but not that's going to tangible, you know, Lost Boys and stuff. You see these covers and you're like, Boy, have these people even seen the films? Like, <laughs> I, I swear, like sometimes poster art is is the best option. But uh, yeah, but anyway, like I said, it, it, it's a fine line, it really is. Yeah, poster art is definitely the way to go, but. That's the one thing. That's the great thing about imprint, as you said, John. They always put original poster out on either the slipcover or in the or on the actual um, sleeve, or they do both alternative poster works, which is fantastic. 
Yep, the best of both worlds. And that's that's actually, that's one great thing about Imprint. Not only are they prolific and they keep bringing more and more movies year after year after year, but they're consistent. And the reason I bring this up is because consistency is really important, particularly for boutique labels where collectors are their main buyers or their main consumers. They need, we want consistency uh, and we want uh, quality as well. And I think Imprint is doing that better than most. You know, even if you put it up against things like Vinegar Syndrome and other boutique labels, they can be a little bit inconsistent. They can be inconsistent with their title choice, but they can also be inconsistent with the newly commissioned artwork that they choose as well. So, and again, it can really be detrimental to their sales. Imprint doesn't do that. They seem to have this fantastic business model that works and they're sticking to it. So more power to them. Yeah, and I think the great thing about Imprint, um, not to get off topic, but yeah, once again, these are, I feel like it is a curation and, and they're bringing us films that, uh, like Sephira is the key, I would have not seen it if it was not an Imprint and I saw it and I, mm. I, I really enjoyed it. So uh, once again, it's that trust and I think some, not not to name labels, I think some of the other labels, when you, um, people begin to lose a bit of trust about what they pick when it gets a bit too trashy, swings the wrong way or uh or a little bit too uh, too out there. So at least Imprint always has found a, a good balance. So yeah, yeah, that's different. I'm sorry, I mentioned names. I shouldn't have done that. I do apologize. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm referring to, certainly. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but just there's always that sort of level of quality that it's it's a, a trust. Eventually, you trust what they put out as a exactly. Cure. So yep. yeah, especially fear is the key. And with fear is the key, that ending sequence, you know, right in that sub in that little submarine. Whatever, whatever it's called, the air tanker, and mm. going down to that, um, to that crash, and the and and the main reason for that is because of um, specific um, cargo that's in the that's in the um, that's in the plane, but of course we find out John Talbot's um agenda is rather personal because the as he notices in the film, and as I'll say it now, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Fear is the Key, you see skulls. One of them is a pilot who is his best friend and John Talbot's wife. And somewhere in there is his little boy. Well, that now, and then mm. the reason was he was so determined to get fully answers. He was willing to risk his own life, especially with, you know, taking out all the air supply and all the oxygen. You have six minutes left to live. That was an intense sequence. I got to say, what do you think? I thought it was pretty intense too, and it was a good sort of roundup to the story because, like, you don't hear about, you don't really hear about his wife and his friend and all that until the end. Yeah. And when you see them there, you're just like, ah, oh, shit, everything's connected now. It's all good, and you know that was actually pretty intense. That whole um ordeal, just watching like Ben Kingsley like sweat and undo his tire, but he's like, put the air on, put the air on. <laughs> and Barry's just yeah. like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm here with my <laughs> wife and kids. <laughs> I've got nothing to lose, bro. Right. <laughs> yeah, but even Ben Kingsley's character, even he wouldn't talk of who killed of who killed who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They have to mention obviously the second half it does change. I mean, the first we have the, the car chase, but then mm-hmm. second half he goes to this uh I guess estate to, to obviously return um the Susie Kendall character. Um obviously we reveal later on it you know spoiler alert it is obviously a whole setup so he can get closer to these people and but you don't know that for the most part and that's what keeps you really intrigued and uh, i just had to mention as well there is also another villain uh the great john burnham who yes. uh is one of my favorite actors I, th- I think he was canadian he was in a lot of really incredible films Dirty Harry, particularly one of my favorites, Savage Streets as the principal, where he tells a student, go fuck an iceberg. He's a, he's, he's a great actor, and especially <laughs> he's, he's, he's a villain. But you, once again, he's obviously wanting to, you know, get the, the John Talbot character on, on their side for this, this sort of mission, this underwater mission. That's when it, it then sort of delves off into another genre. It's delving off into sort of almost like, you know, spy espionage type thing. And, and you're wondering what is going on here. So there is many twists and turns, but yeah, I just want to mention um, John Burnham as well. Who's a, one of my favorite character actors who appeared in a lot of great films, including Charlie Barrick. If you remember Kendall, he was one of the, um, I think he's one of the, 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 one of the corporate sort of hitmen going around. Torturing yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, damn, I remember that one. Woof. 
That was a good. That was a great film. It was. Yeah. Walter Matthau. Yep. Yeah, and Vernon was the guy who, who famously said a line. I think it's something like, "Oh, two two um, two pliers and a blowtorch," which obviously Tarantino stole and used that in Pulp Fiction. But it came. Oh, yeah. John Vernon said that in uh, Charlie Varick. But anyway, yeah. So yeah, just want to mention. Obviously, there's that second half um, that sets things up as well, which is. Mm-hmm. Now, thank you for mentioning that for bringing that up, John. Absolutely, we can't forget that second half. Can we talk about Barry Newman for a little bit? Please do. Is that okay? Let's talk about Barry. Yeah, look, I was I was introduced to Steve McQueen at a very young age and I thought he was a fantastic actor. I thought he was he was the type of actor that's very smooth, very natural, very organic. And then Barry Newman came along. And I thought, okay, Barry Newman is a Steve McQueen light, a Steve McQueen 2%, a a I can't believe it's not Steve McQueen type of actor. And so I didn't think much of him. And I thought, well, maybe he's just trying to be like Steve McQueen. But the more movies you watch with Barry, the more you start to realize that he's got his own style, his own charisma, and uh, and his ability to evolve and, and diversify as an actor becomes more and more apparent as time goes on. So I think he's – I've actually grown to like Barry more than, uh, than Steve McQueen. And I'm sorry for drawing those comparisons, but I think it's definitely uh, it's definitely warranted. And uh, and he starred in some bangers. And he's, you know, you got to remember too that Barry went on to to star in some amazing films well into his 70s, 80s, and even 90s. I think it was. Unfortunately, Steve McQueen passed away at a young age. But I don't know if you remember, guys. I don't know if you remember, but uh, you may have remembered seeing Barry Newman in the movie Independence, uh, Independence Day, but Daylight with uh, Sylvester Stallone. Do you remember seeing him play a small part in that? Oh, um, do you remember? I need film daylight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Daylight 1996. I think it was. Yes. So this is where they get stuck in the, uh, the tunnel with, and, and, uh, Sylvester is the, is the protagonist of the film. That's right. Yeah. 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 So he plays a small part in that. And it was just amazing to see that this guy can still reinvent himself and go on to bigger and better things and still play, you know, you know, co-star in parts or small parts in some pretty big Hollywood heavyweight kind of films. But I think Barry does a very good job in Fear is the Key to not only carry the film, but also star in a way that is intriguing and keeps you guessing. Uh, throughout the entire film. So it's not his normal kind of films up to that point. I think he does a very good job of actually trying to, I think, re- reinvent himself as an actor in that film. So, yeah, I think I really liked his acting skills and talents within uh, Fear is the Key. Yeah, that, 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 is, that is actually a good point. I haven't seen Daylight in years, and I, I'll be honest, I kind of don't remember it because it was it was a forgettable movie, I'll be honest, but I just don't remember Barry Newman, to be honest, but thank you for reminding me. It's a small part that he plays, but it's a damn good part. And 1996, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? I'm going back through the archives of my brain here, but I think that was the year where all the big Hollywood blockbusters came out, where there was all those disaster films. So things like Independence Day yep. and Twister and yeah. was it um, The Rock and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mid-90s, yeah. Or, uh... Yeah, the disaster films kind of came back, didn't they? Disaster films. That's it. Yeah. And he was even in um, The Limey, which I really liked. I remember he was in that as well. The late 90s film, um, The Limey. So, oh, yes, he was. That's Yeah, he was. Jesus. He had glasses. That's right. Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, and, and after The Limey, he was also in Bowfinger. <laughs> yes. Great. Film. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was too. Another one I haven't seen in years. Been a while. And that was actually to... enjoyable, though, Bowfinger. <laughs> it was. It was very funny. And we obviously have to say, unfortunately, Barry Newman did pass away this year in May. He actually mm. died. And I think there were a lot of tributes on various groups, particularly even the um, obviously the, the imprint group. There was a, a lot of people talking about Barry's passing. But once again, I think he's just one of those actors that just you know didn't have the appreciation in this time and um once again through these labels releasing these older films you can see that you're right barry does have this incredible acting skill and charm that um you know it makes him his own not not as like says steve mcqueen sort of knockoff he's definitely you know his own his own style so yeah 
yeah, it's unfortunate that he did pass this year. Yes, may he rest in peace. Isn't that a quinky dink though that we're actually reviewing one of his films? He passes away this year. I just, I don't know. I find that sort of thing lining up with the stars and the planets and the moons, John. Yeah, it is. It is because I didn't realize it was. So I, I couldn't remember. I, I thought it was last year, but it was this year. Yeah. So that that is kind of freaky. So yeah, yeah. It's a. Yeah. What, I mean, he made it all the way to ninety two. It was a fantastic mm-hmm. innings. Yeah, yeah, he did. Definitely did. Yeah, his career spans so many decades, so many films. And you're right. Even until his. Uh, uh, right up there, he was still, you know, still acting in, you know, a couple of, you know, last year, he was still acting in films. So he, yeah, someone that, one of those working class actors that never gave up and just kept working and, um, you know, made it their own. So, yeah, yeah, really incredible career. Yeah, and the last movie that he actually was in was um, Daniel Kramer's um, film, um, Raise Your Kids on Seltzer. And that's what Daniel mentioned to us when we spoke to him about the, the lawyer from the Fury set. Yes, that's right. It is a great loss with Barry Newman gone. And now, what about the music of the, in the movie? What do you think of that jazzy type of um, score? Yeah, it's got a jazz score, and I think it's it matches a lot of the the car chase sequences. Definitely, that that's the standout of the score. Yeah, was it ever released on vinyl? I wonder. Not to my knowledge. No, it doesn't look like it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's definitely there in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a standout for me, I've got to be honest. It wasn't That's really okay. a standout. I can't really remember it, to be honest. But I'm sure it, I'm sure it was good. <laughs> I got the soundtrack, John. Found it. <laughs> you found it? Oh, yeah. Is it on vinyl? Uh, yes, there's two oh, different what? ones. There's an original. There's an old. I think the one when it was released. And there's a Japanese one too that has. Oh. I think it's a Japanese one. Japanese one that has um, the slipcover art. Ah, yep, yep. The mach- machine gun on the front, yep. Yes. I have to keep an eye out for that. My next visit. Hmm. The misleading action film. Okay. I <laughs> know, <laughs> yeah, right? Oof. A tour de force is the epic 10-minute car chase sequence featuring a 78-piece orchestra overdubbed with skidding tyres and throbbing sirens. So hang on a second, Ryan. Let's back up a little bit there. Did you say that it mentions a 10-minute car scene? Yeah. Ah. Force is the epic 10-minute car chase sequence. There you go. There's a bit of a discrepancy right there Mm because I clocked it in at 12 minutes, whereas Imprint clocks it in at 20 minutes. So there you go, Tony. I'm onto something. You are onto something. <laughs> now, actually, can, while we're talking about the car scenes, I want to mention there's there's some scenes oh. that are a little bit bizarre. Okay, now there's this one scene. This is right in the guts of the car of the car chase scene, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to get away from the police, and so he decides to go off road, and he's going up and down over jumps and burning out and all that sort of stuff. And why you you know when you're watching it as the audience, you're thinking, okay, this makes sense. He's he's taking a shortcut. He's trying to get away from these cops. He's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. Only for him to come off the dirt road back onto the main road where the cops are just at least maybe a hundred meters away. And so, it, little things like that can be a little bit annoying because you think, why go to that extreme? It's really just to add in a little extra action that probably mm. wasn't really warranted and doesn't make much sense. So there's little elements. And look, don't get me wrong, I love the film. I thought it was great. But the editing and some of the scenes probably didn't make a hell of a lot of sense in some cases. And that's that, that's just one example. I was going to say, did you actually notice uh, a rock hitting the camera? And the camera... I did. Yes. Yeah, as good editing that on happened, that one. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it was great. He certainly went into great detail with the cut before the car chase. It's great. Wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> well, look, it's a good, again, great car chasing. Some elements that they were trying to put into the movie you could see were a little bit forced just to add a little bit more action to it. But, hey, you know what? Again, these movies made in the 70s were fantastic because you get the warts and all. You get that more organic, natural flow through the film. Mm-hmm. And I miss that. You know, you don't get everything so stylized and overproduced now mm-hmm. uh, and, and rapid editing and things like that. So, and I'm not a big fan of it. Don't get me wrong. There's some new films that I absolutely love. But what I what I want to see come back, and if anybody wants to agree with me on this, that's great. But I would, I'd love to see uh, less editing 
in films and those long drawn out scenes where you get to see the nuances of the actor uh, rather than these rapid, rapidly edited scenes where it's so blurred and so quick you can barely keep up. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, you're a filmmaker too. Let's do it. <laughs> get on to it, Matt. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. You just need time for the characters to breathe. And once again, this film's a good example because there is the action, but then it, it slows down and, and you get to learn these characters and they do breathe and it's very subtle. And, and I think the other thing is, yeah, like even just having practical car effects as well like you know car chases i mean the problem with a lot of these car chases now is like, like I said, it's all cgi and the cars don't have weight to them and it, you immediately become disengaged like i just i'm, I'm out of it like i just because yeah. i know take. unlike films like this where i'm actually on the edge of my seat because I, i'm like wow this actually this is all real stunt work and especially even like death proof like tarantino did all, it was all real like there was no cgi that was all practical mm. stunts uh even like, like i said i said earlier I rewatched The Driver, and that final sequence with Ryan O'Neill, that final car chase sequence, is uh, like on the edge, nail biting stuff. It's just absolutely amazing. But once again, if it's CGI or, or, or fastly edited, you just you get taken out of it. And um, and yeah, just style over substance, unfortunately now. But yeah, it's it, it, we need to bring back this old school filmmaking method where you know everything felt real style know. over substance well said and look maybe yeah. the younger generation dig it and I, I can understand you get movies like terminator uh yeah not terminator but transformers and various other ones like uh, the ninja turtles uh, you know they're quick cgi absolutely drenched with cgi and all these sort of fast rapid edited action scenes and for the younger generation, it keeps their attention because they've got short attention spans. For for the old folkies like like us, maybe, we need those long, drawn-out scenes because it does add a lot of substance. But also just full-body-length scenes. I don't know if you guys realise this, but in a lot of films, it's a lot of waist-up or a lot of chest-up type of shots. So everything's very up and close mm-hmm. and personal. It's very rare that you get these drawn-out sort of panned-outs. And if you do... Yeah. Again, they're over-stylized and a lot of CGI. Anyway, I don't want to go on too much of a rant, but that's what's missing, I think, in a lot of modern-day films. That's what I love about these 70s films where fear uh, is the key is made, where you get those, uh, I suppose, warts and all kind of uh, shots, and uh, and it adds a more sort of natural, organic feel to the movie, where it's almost like a snippet of real life as opposed to an actual film that's been over-stylized. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I 100% agree, and I feel like audiences, from what we're seeing at box office right now, I think they're getting tired of these these big. You know, I hope so. I hope yeah, they are. Yeah. The saying like, people are tired of these three-hour CGI bloat fests. I mean, that they just you know it's. I think more personal indie films are the ones that are going to start to rise again at the box office, just from what I've read and obviously everything going on. You know, not to get into that as well, obviously with what's happening with the um the writer strike and whatnot, but. Um, I just feel like, yeah, people will get back to much more personal films because I think people are just tired of the the, the, the big, you know, box office bloated uh, CGI yeah. films. Uh, I think the audience... Do you, do you think OH... Sorry to cut you off, but do you think OH&S, Occupational Health and Safety, comes into play a lot? Where I know back in the day when they had these car chase scenes, you know, people were really at risk of killing themselves or at least getting very hurt. And so nowadays they'd much rather just CGI it in and that saves any sort of contracts having to be filled or anybody getting, you know, sued. (laughs) That's basically it, dude. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm worried and I'm just like, ah, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the other big one. Yeah, it just, it takes that headache off, I guess. But, you know, just at the risk of the filmmaking, yeah, unfortunately, it it does lose lose a bit of magic. Um, But it's just become easier. And I hate to say it's the they become lazier filmmakers because if you can do it in post-production CGI, why bother shooting it? So it, it's an unfortunate trend, but yeah, they just don't hold the weight to them anymore, unfortunately. Well, uh, that's it. I miss real locations, real yeah. wind, right? Yeah. Real weather, right? Real elements. Yeah. I know. yeah no, it's death by green screen now and fake wind and fake elements. And yeah, anyway, I, I, if you want to, if you want those types of films, if you want and you love, uh, you know, real films that are shot on location, then Fear is the Key is definitely one of them. But also, just a plethora of films made in that era are definitely going to um, to provide you with more than you need. Definitely, you can't go wrong with practical. No, uh, practical uh, all the way. 
No, I think 70s. I think, Kendall, we've spoken many times. I think the 70s is your favourite one. American cinema is one of your favourites. Yeah, whole basically. Era. 70s yeah. and 80s. Mm. It's all gold. Anything time. Golden age of cinema. Oh, yes. Now, with this release, um, have you checked out the extras at all? Well, I watched the commentary and uh, with Kim, with our favourite with our favourite commentator, Kim Newman, and author Sean Hogan. They have they had a great insight on this film, as we discussed earlier. And I saw the Bayou to Bray, interviews with the cast and the crew feature. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I thought it was great. What did you think, Tony? Yeah, I thought it was really good, too. I thought it was very fascinating. But not, it's just not the, um, the main cast and the main crew. It's also other people from behind the scenes, like the um, the lesser-known um, crew members, which is great. I thought that was a, a very fascinating fascinating way to do to that shows it from their perspective, which is awesome. It, it was a very international production, this film. Like, I think it technically is a British film, people call it, because it had yeah. a lot of British crew on it, and it had a bit of international financing. So it's a bit of an – I think that's why this film – has a very, I don't want to say weird, but just a, a, an interesting feeling to it, like in, in so many genres being mixed. Because, yeah, it was sort of a UK production shot shot in parts of the US. So it was a bit of a mix. And, and you get to learn about that through the interviews, which is quite interesting on how it all came together. Yeah, so Bayou to Bray, that extra, it was a holistic interview, wasn't it? They really try to get everybody <laughs> involved mm-hmm. in that interview, which I think is quite unique. I've never really seen that before. But again, it, it brings you in. It makes you learn a lot more. And I always find that sometimes I'm hesitant watching the extras. I think, oh, I'm not going to like it. It's not worth it. But every time I do bring myself around to watching them, I, f- I have this new appreciation for the film. Yeah, I find this this new element of the film or this this new some sort of special moment within the film that it was overlooked at the time when you were watching it. And it just brings things into perspective and makes you appreciate the film a hell of a lot more. So I'm going to get into the habit of watching the extras more often. I think also when you've watched a film so many times, you've got no choice but to visit those extras because you've got you've you've seen it too many times and you you need something fresh and new about it. So again, really good thing about physical media, you get those extras that you're not getting with some of those streaming uh, mm. platforms. For sure, Ryan, did you check out any of the extras? No, I haven't actually. I'm interested in the Bayou to Bray um, interviews actually. Have you guys watched that? Is that uh, worth checking? Yeah. Yeah, that's what we were just talking about. So it's like a holistic interview with the cast and crew. It, and when I say holistic, we're just – they get everybody involved. You know, even people that were just, I don't know, the grip, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and give you sort of different elements from everybody that were involved. So it's definitely worth checking out, Ryan, if you get a chance. Done. Well, it looks like it's, this is probably the end of our conversation of um, Fear is the Key. And I have to say, it's also great to have the uh, Members' Choice Poll episodes back up and running. We haven't done it in nearly a year. We've got to really catch up on this thing. But i got to tell so, you, Chris, i got to tell you, you yes. were a joy. Oh, thank you. This was absolutely amazing. And if you ever want me back, I'm here. I'm, I'm at your disposal. Well, I will ask you a question, though, Tony. Yeah. Are you looking at bringing this back a little bit more regularly? Because I think it's a great format. I wanted to do it monthly, but we had so much going on, you know. With we also, you know, with our personal lives as well, we got and the timing is a bit of an issue as well. But yeah, the members' choice poll, I love, I I love that idea, you know. To it also, it also gives us opportunity to um, engage with the members of the groups and they were and see what they love about the film and what they love about this particular film that was chosen. So. Yeah, look, I I like these deep dives into a film. I like these deep dives into the the actors within the films as well. I think, you know, the reason we are collectors is not just because we want to have something that's physical and on the shelves and maybe, 
you know, provides a little bit of a, a revenue if we sell them on e- on Evil Bay, but also because we're, we're big sort of movie enthusiasts and we don't really get the chance to exercise our passion and it's only through podcasts like this. So, yeah, look, I'm all for it. If you, if you continue doing this moving forward, I think there's some other fantastic members of the group that can probably shine a light on some of their, fa- their favourite films. Well, Chris, as we said, you were an absolute pleasure and an absolute joy to, cho- to talk to. Thank you once again for joining in on this episode. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I've stood on the shoulders of giants, so I appreciate it. I really do. <laughs> thank you for that. And, of course, <laughs> to my regular colleagues, um, Ryan and John, thank you so much. No, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. No, well, it was great. Thank you as always, Chris, and we'll get you back on soon, definitely. Um, we'll, we'll find something. I'm sure Tony can – we'll figure out a topic or something, but, yeah, it was great. I'll sort something out. Don't worry. Good on you, Tony. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, John. Uh, anytime, man. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thank yeah, you so thank much, you. Chris, and thank you, guys, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a good one, and we'll have a new episode soon. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.